his son is coming home to his dad he has his whole like I'm so sorry I'm an idiot speech and like the dad doesn't even let him get it out because the father is so excited that his son is coming home that the father comes and grabs him and and loves him and brings out the service like we're throwing a party because you're home and what I learned when I came to know Jesus is that that's the heart of the father when a child comes home the father runs to them Have you been running away from God, your Heavenly Father? Pastor Daniel continues the story of the prodigal son today, sharing how this man had been running from his own father, and after life has beaten him down, he returns home, expecting rebuke and punishment. Maybe that's what you're expecting too. But as you'll learn today, God's not like that. He isn't waiting around to chastise you. He loves you. There's overwhelming grace waiting instead. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 as he continues his message called Coming Home. Everything about my life, I was dependent. The air that I breathed, the food that I ate and was able to digest, the ability to think thoughts. The, you know, it's like something happens when you watch someone take their last breath like I saw with my mom where you realize... Her body's there, but she's not there. Like, those things were huge. Like, I didn't know what to do with those things. And so then when Jesus intervenes in my life, all of a sudden, all of these things start to make sense now. Where you're like, oh. Because her spirit has now left her body. And so it all comes together. Now, at that time, I'm like the guy who finally realizes in my father's house, everyone's got it. Now, It says in verse 18, in Luke 15, it says, And I will arise and go to my father's house, and I will stand with him. And I will say with him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be married. Now I think this is fascinating because as the son is coming home to his dad, he has his whole like, I'm so sorry, I'm an idiot speech and like the dad doesn't even let him get it out because the father is so excited that his son is coming home that the father comes and grabs him and, and loves him and brings out the service like we're throwing a party because you're home. And what I learned when I came to know Jesus is that that's the heart of the father. When a child comes home, the father runs to them. So you can imagine the father waiting for his son, wondering what's going on. The father's looking at the hillside every night. Will my son come home? See, what I learned when I gave my life to Jesus is that God isn't interested in me telling him everything I did wrong. What God is interested in is that I'm home because God wants a relationship. That's what he wants. 
And all he wants was to come home. And what happened for me is when I came to know Jesus, God embraced me. And I was willing to let him do that because I was so busted up from everything that had gone on. Years of drugs, years of parties, never having like stable life. And then you lose your mom and everything's, and God just grabbed hold of my life. Now, I graduated college in New Jersey and I immediately moved to the West Coast because I was going to pursue a career in music. So I've been really playing the bass, the upright and the electric bass. I've been practicing hours every day, playing hundreds and hundreds of hours of gigs. And so I decide I'm going to move to Ashland, Oregon of all places. And so the reason I moved to Ashland, Oregon was I didn't want to move to New York because I didn't feel like I was ready. And my honorary uncle, Frank Sinatra, said, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And I wasn't ready to make it in New York. And I figured if I didn't move, I was going to spend my whole life in like this one little place in the world. And not that that's bad. Actually, I've grown as I've gotten older to appreciate a sense of place. But I decided to move, and I didn't want to move to a major city, so I had friends who say, oh, go to Ashland, it's a cool, funky town, an art town, and it'll be fun there. And so I moved there with some buddies of mine, and we began to play music. And it was a blast. I was living my dream. And we spent a couple of years in Ashland, Oregon. I got plugged in to a great church there called Ashland Christian Fellowship at the time. A man named Andy Green was the pastor. Andy's now home with the Lord. God really used this church to embrace, grew another set of dreads and, you know, to embrace like a really kind of out there musician who God was doing a work in his life. And they invited me on the worship team and Pastor Andy invested a lot in my life. I taught my first Bible study at that church. Uh, the pastor's wife, uh, Paige, and his daughter, Sarah, were at my very first Bible study. Actually, Paige showed me the notes in her Bible from that Bible study. You know, and what is fascinating, though, and I, and I failed to mention it, when my mother passed away, the very first time I ever spoke in a pulpit was at my mother's service where I gave her eulogy. I didn't remember that until just the other day when my sister, my twin sister, Jody, reminded me of that, that the very first time I'd ever spoken in church was at my mom's funeral. So I'm playing music, and God's doing a work in my life, and we decided to move from Ashland to the San Francisco Bay Area to pursue music. And so I get to the Bay Area, and I'm pursuing music. I'm playing with a great group. We're touring. All this stuff's going on. But I'm having this uneasiness in my heart. This, like, there was a discontentment in my heart. Now, here's what I want to say. All of us know what discontentment feels like, but the key is, can you discern, is it a holy or an unholy discontent? Is it an unholy discontentment because God wants to change your heart because your heart's wrong? Or is it a holy discontentment where actually your heart is right, God wants to change your circumstances? He wants you to make a hard decision. Being able to discern those two things is important because a lot of times our dissatisfaction is because God wants to change our hearts because our hearts are wrong. That's what I call an unholy dissatisfaction. But when it's a holy one, it's because God wants to do something. And what I realized was, I'm like, man, something's going on. And I remember reading about fasting in the Bible. I thought to myself, and I've said it before, why on earth would anyone want to skip a meal? You know, like I'm all Italian, so it's like food's a love language. You know, like when, when I'm eating, I feel God's pleasure, you know. And so there was no, like the idea of skipping a meal. So I asked my pastor at the time, John Henry Corcoran, he's in uh, San Francisco Bay Area. I was going to church there. I asked about fasting. He explained it to me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to fast. I said, I'm going to fast for two days. So I wake up in the morning, only drinking water. By about 11 o'clock, I'm the angriest person. Like, I'm hangry. Like, I have never skipped breakfast in my life. You know, and I'm so angry. I was so angry I had to take a nap. So I took a nap because I'm like, I can't do this, you know. And I slept. I took like a two-hour nap. And I woke up. And it was about 1.30 or 2 o'clock. And I woke up and I was tired and hungry. 
But then there was this amazing clarity in my life, and I began to pray and seek the Lord, and, and very quickly I felt like the Lord said, Daniel, I have something else for you. I've given you the gift of music, but I don't want you to do it as a career. There's something else I want you to do. And I felt the calling to be a pastor. And so, uh, like any college-educated person, when you be a pastor, you go to seminary. That's what you do. You go to school. Love school. Nothing better than getting paid to read books. So if anyone's struggling with school, it's a gift, man. Like, your job is to read. How cool is that? So going to seminary, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to seminary. So I got all these applications. Now, I didn't even think for a second that nobody would accept me to seminary because I literally, like, only put on the worship team, you know. But uh, I fill out all these applications, and I begin praying over the applications before I send them. So I got four applications. They're all filled out, essays, the whole nine. And I'm praying over them. I feel like the Lord says, I want you to throw them out because I want to use you right now. So I was like, oh, Okay, so I, I threw him out, and I said, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, and I decided that I was going to move back to Ashland, Oregon. I'd only been in the Bay Area for a little while. I didn't know anybody, and so I was going to move back into Ashland, and I sat down with my pastor at the time in Marin County, so North Bay of San Francisco, John Henry Corcoran, and he was just like, so what, what's God doing with you? I'm like, well, I think I'm called into the ministry, but I don't know. I'm moving back up to Ashland, and I'll never forget, he said, well why don't you stay here? We could use you here. And I was like, oh, well, I already made a commitment to go teach this Bible study, so yeah, I can't. So I, I literally turn around, move up, back up to Ashland. I'm up in Ashland for three days, and the Lord's like, you're supposed to be in the Bay Area. <laughs> this is my life, man. Like, this is me, you know. Like, I'm always in the wrong spot, you know. I'm in God's timeout chair, but he does a great work, you know. And so sure enough, I finished this Bible study I'm teaching. I move back down, and I get taken on staff as an intern at this church with my pastor, John Henry Corcoran, who discipled me and taught me the work of ministry in real time. I started off as an intern. 500 bucks a month was my salary. That was also my rent. So you take your salary minus your tithe, you're already negative 50 bucks. You know, and I do believe in giving is under the Lord. So that was my every month thing. And I'm here to tell you, I never missed a rent check. It was amazing life experience. Like, there were times when I'm like, man, how am I supposed to, you know, I have no food. Like, I was the guy where, when I would tell people, if you found rice, bananas, or carrots on sale, let me know. Because, you know, like, with those three things, you can do a lot. You know what I mean? And so, I lived on that stuff. But there were times when I couldn't afford groceries, and I'd show up home, and there'd be a bag of groceries. I wouldn't tell anybody. There was one time when there was no way I was going to be able to pay my rent because I had not only my tithe, but I had a, my car broke. And so I remember I woke up in the morning and the guy who I live with was, was also a brother in the Lord. And I just, in all these things, I, I wasn't going to tell anyone my problems because it's really easy. Like God's going to provide, but I'm going to go tell everybody. And so gonna, you know, so I'm like, like kind of like George Mueller, if you know him, just like testing the Lord on all this stuff. So I'll never forget because um, that morning I woke up, I'm like, Hey, I'll give you the rent check later today. And he's like, oh, yeah, no worries. And then a little later in the day, I saw him, and I'm like, I'm going to give you the, the rent check. He's like, you know what, actually, I'm going to pay your rent this month. I'm like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, it was funny. He's like, after you said you're going to give me the rent check later today, I felt like the Lord said you should pay Daniel's rent. And I just dismissed that. I said, forget that. I don't want to pay Daniel's rent. You can pay his own rent, you know? And he's like, and then I was out driving, and I, and I just really felt like the Lord said, I'm supposed to pay your rent. And I said, well, okay, you know? <laughs> Praise God, you know? And I told him months later, I didn't have the money for the rent. Like, like I was like waiting for him. I'm like, okay, Lord, how's this going to work? I'm like, you know, like, what are you doing here? 
And uh, he took care of it every step of the way. So I started as an intern, then I became an actual real staff member, and then I became a junior high pastor, and then a high school pastor, and then I became the assistant pastor. And then we hit that point where I felt God was stirring my heart to, to plant a church. And so I made the commitment that, I mean, at this time, I'm 24 years old. So I'm like, you know, wet behind the ears, I'm green, whatever the terminology you want, you know, that was my story. And, and I said, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to wait for my pastor to talk to me about it. I'm not going to precipitate this. I'm just going to, Lord, if this is you, you got to work this out. I trust that the man you have me serving with hears your voice. He's impacted my life. I love my pastor. His wife, Hillary, she's like a big sister to me. She actually put, Hillary put me and Lynn together. It's a whole other story for another day, you know. I'll never forget it, though. Me and John Henry, he said, hey, let's go get some lunch. This is about two, three weeks later. And we're sitting at lunch, and John Henry says, so I love having you as my assistant pastor. I'm like, oh, man, John Henry, this is the greatest experience of my life serving with you. He taught me what a godly man was like, what a godly husband looked like, what a godly dad looked like. I mean, so much of the stuff I do with my kids, I learned from my pastor, watching his life. You know, and he said, but, you know, I feel like I've taught you everything I know, and I feel like... God has more for you. He's like, if I thought you were going to be an assistant pastor for the rest of your life, I'd keep you here forever. Because we were having a blast. So much fun. And he's like, so, like, has God given you a vision to plant a church? Or do you want me to find a church for you? I almost, like, choked on my, my Chinese food, <laughs> you know? And I started to share with him. I said, I'm like, you know, it's amazing that you're talking to me about this because this and this and this, and I got this, and this is what God's shown me. I think I'm supposed to move back to New Jersey and plant a church. And, and I'm like, but... You have to tell me if I'm supposed to do this or not because I don't trust my own judgment. I'm young and I'm zealous and I'm probably wrong. And he's like, well, let me pray about it. And he prayed for me there. And about a week later, he came in. He said, so God, give me a word for you. And I said, ooh. And he brought me to in Deuteronomy where God told Moses that you've skirted this mountain too many times. And he says, so God showed me that I need to send you out. You should go to plant that church in New Jersey. And so him and the elders of the church, they laid hands on me and they sent me back across the country to start a church in New Brunswick, New Jersey when I was 24 years old. And so I showed up in New Brunswick. So I'm a single guy starting a church. I had no money, no people. Last time I was in New Brunswick, New Jersey, I was like way high, you know, and not high on my spirit. I was like high on drugs, you know, it was funny. Like I didn't know any believers either, you know? (laughs) And so I show up in this town with my Bible, the spirit of God and a vision to start a church. And I remember we didn't have any money. So I wanted to, I found out if you were a campus minister with Rutgers, they'd give you free building. You can rent in their, in their thing for free. So I'm like, Oh, I can get that done. So I stood out. I had to get 15 names of students who wanted to, was even interested in this campus ministry. That was this church. It took me three days. I stood outside in front of the Rutgers Student Center for three days, talking to anyone who would even remotely talk to me. Imagine that, three days to get 15 signatures. I should have known I was in trouble, you know, because I got the three, 15 signatures. The first service, I think there was eight people at it, and I think the tithe was like $11. You know, I was working at a restaurant, to supplement my income, no missionary support, just like you're just trusting the Lord and I'm doing evangelism. And some of the first people who came, one guy was Orthodox Jewish. He's like, I've just never been to church before, so I'm gonna come to your church. You know, it's wild, you know. So we started this church, and uh, over the course of a number of years, the church grew from eight people. And I mean, 
I could tell you stories for days and days. And so in the midst of that, I met my wife, Lynn. Actually, I met Lynn when I was in the Bay Area. We had two conversations totaling about 13 words. Twelve of them were mine, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And God put Lynn and I together. She was actually uh, doing a YWAM DTS. uh, She was living in uh, Chico, California, finishing up her schooling. And I was in New Jersey and God kind of arranged our marriage in a really fascinating way. We got married in the midst of that. We got pregnant right away with Obadiah. Well, she got pregnant, but I was involved in that too. You know, and um, we really started to feel called to leave New Jersey. I had never thought I was going to live in New Jersey forever. I felt like I was supposed to start a church there. And so we had raised up a pastor, Jason Falzerano, who was just an amazing guy. I love this guy so much. And so he took the church over. We moved back to the Bay Area and started a church in Mill Valley, California, which is in the southern part of uh, Marin County. And then also we ended up starting a church in San Francisco in the Marina District. So I was pastoring two churches at the time. And I remember at this point in my life, so, you know, I had like a preppy haircut. I was shaving my beard. I was, you know, totally clean shaven because I thought that's what a pastor was supposed to be. You know, and I'll never forget, you know, I was praying and, and I felt like the Lord just said to me, he said, you know, Daniel, like you're being a poser. Like it was when the Lord calls you out that you're a poser. It's kind of a bad thing, you know, but he's like, this is not who I created you to be. This is who you think you're supposed to be. Like you think people are going to like you as a pastor because you have short hair and because you, you have nice and clean shaven and you wear button down shirts and khakis and stuff. You know, like, like this is not like I created you differently because I want to use you differently. And I was really challenged by that because I had kind of gotten really settled in as like, this is what a pastor's supposed to be like together and all this stuff. And, and so I remember Lynn still remembers that. I'm like, listen, I'm going to grow my hair out again. You know, and she's just like, what? You know? And we just talked about it. And so in the midst of all that, I started growing this set of dreads. And I stopped shaving. Praise God. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's nothing... And like, and I'm also, you realize like, and like, I'm not knocking if you shave, but like, I'm the kind of guy who I get a five o'clock shadow at eight 30, you know, like I'm all Italian. So it's like, it's like, I could shave, but it's like, I'm real scruffy at eight. Like I shave at seven. I'm scruffy at eight. My chin is lethal by four in the afternoon. Like I, I it's like a, I could hurt somebody, you know? And so, so shaving was tough, man. I was like one of those guys who would have like the electric shaver in the car, you know, like going to a meeting, trying to look like, like I belong and in the midst of all that, so I planted three churches and learned so much. But in the midst of all of that, God began to stir my heart again. And I felt like God wanted me to take a step of faith. So I was in the process of turning over these two churches in the Bay Area. And I felt like the Lord said to me, Daniel, I want you to walk by faith. And so I remember like, okay, so I planted a church in San Francisco. So I wrote down on an index card all these cities that I heard horror stories about people planting churches in. So hard. So like places like Sedona, Arizona, because that's a vortex. Yeah, I'm like, I'll plant a church in a vortex. That sounds fun. You know, Burlington, Vermont was on that list. And Portland was on the list. Spanish Harlem was on the list. There's a couple of places that were like, that I'm like, yeah, like, because after you plant a church in San Francisco, like, I don't want like an easier job. You know, like, I'm like, I'm like, like, and then I'm like, am I supposed to go on the mission field? Like, what are we supposed to do? And me and Lynn were praying. And Bill Ritchie and I connected and he started talking to me about Crossroads, you know, and it was like the conversations were super casual and not anything specific, but very quickly I started to feel like the Lord was like, you're supposed to do that. 
And I was like, no way. You know, it's like, like walking by faith is one thing, but when you're in like a pioneer church planter, like a renegade dreadlock church planter in San Francisco, like the last place you want to go is be the pastor comes after Bill Ritchie. Good night. You know, it's like Bill with his suits and his perfect sermons, like everything's like perfect. You might not know that about Pastor Bill, but Pastor Bill writes all of his sermons, whole manuscript, memorize it and then preaches it like he hasn't like and it's you guys know that about him I've actually I've held the manuscript watched him preach and like and I'm like how does this guy do this he's like a classical composer but he memorized the whole score it's unbelievable what Pastor Bill does and I'm like yeah I am not going to be the guy who follows Bill Ritchie (laughs) thanks anyway You know, and so God's really stirring my heart for this thing. He's really like doing a work and he's working me over. I'm like, no, you know, like I'm in God's timeout chair always, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. No, no, no. You know, and it's like, and then I hit a point where I'm like, if I don't do this, I'm sinning against God. Right. And what was so funny about this is I talked to a good friend of mine and I said, so I think I'm going to go move up to Vancouver, Washington. He's like, you're not going to go to Crossroads with Bill Ritchie, are you? And I'm like, yeah, they're going to hate you up there. Good friends, you know, like, I love people who tell me the truth. Like, they're going to hate your guts when you get there. And then I had another friend, like, they invented the interim pastor for situations just like this. Because, you know, the, the interim pastor is the guy who goes in after the great pastor. And everyone hates the interim pastor, so they don't kill the real pastor who's coming after the interim pastor, you know? And so, like, all this is going on. And I feel like the Lord's like, no, no, I want you to walk by faith. Like, planning a church was easy for me at that point. I knew how to do it. I knew how to like, just get a job and drink a lot of coffee and go crazy and church starts. And it's wild. He's like, but walking into Crossroads, I had no clue what was going on. One of the things that I've learned a lot about the Lord kind of comes in this last section of this story because the father's excited about the prodigal son coming home but not everyone's excited because look what it says in verse 25 it says now his older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant and he said to him your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound your father has killed the fatted calf but he was angry and would not go in therefore his father came out and he pleaded with him and so he answered and said to his father lo these many years I've been serving you I never transgressed your commandment at any time and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost, but now he's found. See, it's fascinating. The brother comes home and the older brother isn't there and he comes back and he hears the joy And he's like, what's up with this? He said, well, your brother's back. Jesus is real. You probably have in your head an ideal life path that a pastor would walk. Raised in church, good student and biblical scholar, always tries to follow the rules. But Pastor Daniel's story didn't go that way. His testimony reminded you today that pastors are humans too. They need grace just as much as you do. And that that grace is available in abundance. You can experience it today, right now, no matter what your life has been so far. 
Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus' Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. The prodigal can come home again. The father is waiting with open arms. And as you learn from Pastor Daniel's testimony and the story of the prodigal son, the heavenly father isn't waiting to tear you down and punish you. He loves you so deeply. He wants you to experience what grace feels like. So today, if you're the prodigal, come to Jesus. Come enjoy forgiveness and mercy and be part of his family. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.